servant in charge. Now, this is something that I think God wants to reestablish in our hearts. Uh, you, you know, uh, most of you in this church are serving in some capacity, and you're helping, and you're doing something awesome. But, uh, you know, a lot of times in our minds, we'll limit ourselves because of that. Now, the Lord spoke something to me this last year that was I thought was really interesting. Uh, we were driving to church one morning, and the Lord spoke to me and said, take the limits off of me because I've taken the limits off of you. And I, I thought, wow, I mean, it's just so simple but so profound. It's like, okay, God is unlimited. And there's uh, verses in the Bible that say, God says, I'm going to do things you've never seen before. You know, well, if you've never, you know, if you've never read it in here before, and you've never seen it in your generation before, and God's going to do some things like that, wow. You know, we need to gear ourselves for stuff like that. God said, take the limits off of me because I've taken the limits off of you. And even in a servant's role, you are unlimited with God on the inside of you. I mean, if Jesus lives in you, Jesus is so awesome. Jesus is so amazing. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Well, that's leadership. And that leadership lives on the inside of you. And that leadership finds expression through you when you step in to your role of influence wherever you're at. And so we're going to look at some of these things this morning in the Word. If you want to turn over to Matthew chapter 24. And in Matthew 24, Jesus gives several parables about the last days, about the times that we live in, and about be ready, uh, about no man knows the day or the hour, and we need to be prepared. Now, I, I, I think Jesus is coming back very soon. I don't know how soon. You know, you, there are people that say, well, we've been hearing that for a long time, you know. For hundreds of years, people have been saying Jesus is coming soon. Well, you know, if you look at, in the Word and you look at the signs of the times, I'm not here to to outline all of that today, but I just believe that we are close, so close to Jesus coming back, and we need to be doing what he has for us to do when he comes, you know, and not, you know, not disqualifying ourselves from influence and leadership uh, when he comes back. We need to be engaged and stepping out and doing some things. Okay, let's look at this. In Matthew chapter 24 and verse 45, Jesus says, Who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his master made ruler over his household to give them food in due season? Okay? That's the question I'm asking this morning. Who then is a wise and faithful servant who the master is going to make ruler? The servant made ruler. The servant in charge. Okay? Now, this this is what I want to lay out before you this morning, okay? If you read the next couple of verses, Jesus says, Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. Surely I say to you that he will make him ruler over all his goods. Now, okay, the idea of, I mean, we're coming up, this next year is an election year. After 2015, 2016 is an election year. And a lot of Christians, a lot of believers have gotten into this thing is like, okay, if we only had a, a Christian president, if we only had a Christian in charge of our country, then things would be better or whatever. And we've thought this for a long time. But when you look at Scripture, many times in Scripture, that wasn't the case. In fact, in fact, very few times in Scripture was that the case. David was an example of a godly leader. Uh, Solomon, his son, was an example of a godly leader. These guys still weren't perfect. They had issues and situations that they went through, and they still called on God. 
But they were examples of that. But many times in Scripture, we're going to look at some examples, uh, God uses people that aren't in the primary position of leadership to make a huge difference of influence in these scenarios and in these situations. Now, Cindy and I met at Christ for the Nations. In fact, uh, last month, Valentine's Day, was our anniversary of our first date, which was at Christ for the Nations. We met in January and had our first date at the Valentine's Banquet at CFNI uh, a long time ago. And, uh, you know, it's just, you know it's, just, it's just been an awesome, awesome, awesome uh, journey with God, you know, and, and just learning and growing, and it's just amazing. But we started there. And uh, after we got done with Christ for the Nations, our first assignment, uh, we went, uh, Cindy's mom and dad had become a part of a little church that, you know, about 50 people. And uh, uh, we went up there. We didn't, we didn't know what to do. We didn't know where to go. And it was really, you know, when you're graduating from Christ for the Nations and you have nothing to say, it's just really obnoxious because you've got people you're talking to. And it's like, what are you going to do when you're done? And, oh, I'm going on the mission field and I'm going to speak to millions in Africa. And you're like, you know, they're like, what are you going to do? Oh, nothing. You know, you just, you don't know. And so we didn't know. And so when we were done, we moved in with Cindy's mom and dad that lived up in North Dallas and started helping at this little church. And we were just so hungry for God and so hungry to be in the ministry and just had such a desire to serve God in some capacity. And so I got a job uh, across the freeway from this church. Uh, This guy was developing these warehouses so that people could come in and lease these warehouse spaces. So I was there and I was doing construction type things, you know, finishing out bathrooms and and painting and different things like that. So uh, I was busy doing that during the day. But I would drop, we had one vehicle, we were living in government housing, we had no money, you know. So I would drop Cindy off at the church in the morning, and she would volunteer all day long answering the phones and vacuuming the carpet and, and helping at the church. You know, the staff was the pastor and his wife, and then Cindy was the volunteer in the office, and that was it. And I worked across the street. Each day when we got done, uh, we would go eat something, then we would come back and volunteer at night to hang sheetrock and ceiling tiles and build classrooms for Sunday school, and, and we served, and we served, and we served, and we served, and we served. If something needed to be done, we were there and volunteering to do it because we just wanted to be a part of the ministry. Well, in a couple of months, they were to the place. They had grown to about 100 people, and they were like, okay, we need to hire somebody. Who should we hire? Well, you look around the room, and you pick the people that are already doing the job, right? Because we were serving and serving and serving and serving. And Jesus said, who is that faithful and wise servant whom his master will make ruler over his household? And he said, blessed is that servant who his master, when he comes, will find so doing. There's, there is a lot of weight that God puts on the doing, okay? Uh, Many times if we're just waiting for God to open up the opportunity for us and we're not doing anything, then it's really hard to get into gear for it. But if you're already doing it, then all of a sudden it just locks on and you're just there. And, and God can use that so well, you know. You say, well, you know, I don't want to just do stuff. You know, I don't want to just be doing stuff, being busy for the sake of being busy. And, and that's true. And, you know, you have to prayerfully go forward. 
And Cindy and I, we were prayerfully going forward. God, what do you want us to do? Where do you want us to be involved? God showed us there. So we got involved, as involved as we could be, and we served. Well, that church uh, grew from, you know, that, that small beginning. Eventually, it was a church of 8,000 people, had multiple services. Uh, we, had, uh, we were broadcasting uh, services to churches all over the United States and all over the world. We were doing youth conventions and youth conferences because we were the youth pastors eventually. And, and it, you know, that little serving thing and hanging sheetrock became this other thing that was huge. We were associate pastors. I, this is how I got ordained, all right? The pastor was going out of town and someone wanted to get married. That's how I got ordained. The pastor says, well, you do it. I'm like, I've never done a wedding before. He goes, it's easy. Here's a book. And he knew I would do it because everything he's asked me to do, I would do it, you know. And so he's like, you do it. And, and so we were there in his office, so he ordained me, laid hands on me and says, okay. And prayed over me and says, you're ordained. Do the wedding. And so I, I did the You know, is that what I had envisioned? No. But you know what? God does it. God puts things together, and he makes it happen. And he paves your pathway with leadership and influence if you're willing to go forward and step into it and step out. Okay, now let's look at a couple of examples. Uh, Joseph in the Old Testament. Joseph uh, was a part of a, a big family. There were 12 boys, and they had one sister, mom and dad. Uh, well, mom and mom and mom and mom and dad, because uh, there were a bunch of wives and concubines involved in the situation. And that's, I guess, where all the kids came from. But anyways, uh, big family. How many of you come from a big family? Anyone? Uh, Cindy and I both come families from families of, of five kids, so families of seven. That's not really that big. My, my grandfather came from a family of 11 kids, and so, you know, that's pretty big. Uh, but this, Joseph came from a big family. What does a big family do three times a day? Eat. So if you're in a big family, you're involved with food somehow, right? Okay, so... Joseph does some things. His brothers get ticked off at him. They throw him in a pit. They sell him to slave traders. Uh, he, they bring him down to Egypt. He gets sold uh, to Potiphar's house. Uh, Joseph uh, jumps right in. And all of a sudden, Potiphar sees this guy, sees the leadership in him. Well, Potiphar's got this whole household and servants and all kinds of stuff. What are they doing three times a day? So he puts Joseph in charge of it. Why? Joseph knows what to do in that scenario. He's used to a big family. He, it's, Joseph puts him in charge. He's in charge of the whole house except for the wife. Well, the wife, you know, starts following Joseph around, and, you know, she, she tries to seduce him and all of this stuff. Joseph's like, no way. Well, she accuses him. Joseph gets thrown into prison. What do they do three times a day or one times a day in prison? <laughs> I don't know how many times a day in prison they eat, especially back then. Well, the, the jailer puts Joseph in charge of the prison. Joseph is the prisoner in charge. Well, that, you know, doesn't quite compute in your brain. But Joseph is a prisoner with keys. Okay? I mean, he's, he's tucking everybody in at night, locking up the doors, and then he locks himself in. I mean, that just doesn't make sense, you know? But what happened here? He's the servant in charge. He's in charge of the prison. Well, Joseph interprets a couple of dreams of some guys, and then one of them is, ends up next to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh has a weird dream, and, 
he's like, who can interpret this? And, you know, the butler says, well, there's this guy in the prison that interprets dreams, and he's really good at it. And so they bring him, and I love what Joseph does. You know, he, he takes his time, he shaves, he gets all, you know, cleaned up to come before Pharaoh. Comes before Pharaoh. Pharaoh's like, uh, I've had a dream, and nobody can tell me what it means. And Joseph says, well, here's what it is, and here's what it means. And uh, here's what to do, and God's showing you what it is and what to do. And uh, then Joseph's advice, I love this, what he does. You know, I mean, he's, he, served in Potter, he served at home. He served in Potiphar's house. He served in the prison. He knows what to do. He knows how to do it. The dream is about food. What has Joseph been doing for his whole life? Food service. The dream is about a famine that's going to ha- come, and they need to store up food so that they can feed the whole world for seven years. And so, you know, Joseph has the gear. Joseph's advice to Pharaoh is, you need somebody really, really smart who knows how to do cool stuff like interpret dreams and stuff to put in charge of this. Pharaoh looks over here. He looks over there. He goes, you're the smartest guy I've ever seen. And Pharaoh says, you're in charge. He's the servant in charge. And Pharaoh says to him, you're in charge of everything except the throne. So he was the servant in charge. Who had more influence than any other leader in Egypt? Joseph. Why? Because he stepped in to his leadership anointing even as a servant. He was the servant in charge. If somebody needed something, they'd go to Joseph. They didn't go to Pharaoh. They went to Joseph. And he told them what to do and how to do it and where to put it and how to set it up and all of that. He, ha- he stepped into his leadership gear, and he wasn't even in charge. Now, this is what I want you to kind of grasp this morning. Even if you're not in charge, God has influence. God has opened doors. God has opportunities for you to to minister to somebody, to be a blessing to somebody, to help lead somebody, and it's going to make all the difference in the world. How about Moses? Moses wasn't Pharaoh. Moses wasn't in charge of Egypt. Moses grew up in Egypt. He was the son of Pharaoh, adopted son. And then one day he got a little anxious any of you ever get anxious of the calling of God on your life and you step out and you try to do it on your own? Yeah, it doesn't work out too good. didn't work out for Moses. Moses has this thing in his heart that the Israeli people are being abused and he's like, I've got to do something about it. So he kills an Egyptian. Not a good thing to do, okay? That's against the law. He's going to be arrested even if he's Pharaoh's adopted son because it's against the law and they're going to arrest him. So he takes off. And where does he go? He goes out in the wilderness, and he becomes a part of this family, and he's uh, taking care of sheep in the wilderness, okay? For, for 40 years, he learned the ways of Egypt. Then, for 40 years, he learned how to lead sheep through the wilderness. And then, God shows up and says, okay, you're ready now. He's 80. Yesterday, my mom turned 80. I, you know, call her on the phone and you know, it's like, it's like, can you imagine, okay, when you're 80, okay, now it's time to start. Ready, begin, you know. I mean, Abraham, his was a lot like that too. Abraham was 100 when he had the promised son, you know. And, you know, he's raising his son. And then Sarah died, and then Abraham remarried. I don't, you don't read about that very often, you know. You don't really hear too many verses about that, you know, preached. Uh, Abraham remarried, had more kids. I mean, this guy, talk about father of a multitude. I mean, this guy just could not stop, you know. He's like, you know, just amazing, okay. So 
Moses, 40 years in Egypt, 40 years in the wilderness uh, taking care of sheep, and now God says, you're ready. Moses wasn't sure if he was ready or not. Moses was holding back. Moses, in his mind, he's like, I, 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 I don't talk very good. And God's like, you can do this. God is like, you can do this. That's what God's saying to you today. You can do this. You can do this. And in your mind, maybe you're going, well, I don't know. I, you know, I, eh. God's saying, yes, 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 yes. Go, 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 go. It's time. It's time. So Moses gets everything together, goes to Egypt, goes and stands before Pharaoh. Here's what, here's what the Lord told Moses. I'm going to make you like a god to Pharaoh. And I'm going to make Aaron like your prophet. I mean, that's what God told him. Well, you know, I'd be concerned I'd get the big head. You know, if God told me, hey, you're going to be like a god in this situation. I'd be like, you know, it's Bruce Almighty or something, you know. <laughs> and, and, and Moses went into the situation, and he declared the word of the Lord. And God did signs and wonders and miracles. And it was awesome, and it was amazing. Well, Moses was a fugitive. He was wanted for murder. What makes him think that he can come into the situation and open his mouth and say anything that's going to be influential at all? Well, God said he could. God told him to do it, and he did it. He was the fugitive in charge. Okay? Just like Joseph was the prisoner in charge. And you can't let your past, you can't let your former experience hold you back from the thing that God is wanting to do in your life now. Because this generation, this world that we live in now, needs desperately the influence of Jesus that's on the inside of you. And it's time we step into it. Let's talk about Jesus. Was Jesus the king? Was he the king? Well, he's king of kings. But he didn't come and run for office and become the political king of Jerusalem and of Israel. And when he's standing before Pilate, Pilate says this to him. This is so amazing. Pilate says to him, you know, he's asking him questions and trying to get him to talk. And Pilate's like, you don't want to talk to me? Don't you know that I have the power to crucify you and I have the power to let you go? And Jesus, I don't know if he chuckled, you know, but Jesus says back to the king, he says, you would have no power at all if it wasn't given to you from above. So what was Jesus? Jesus was the carpenter in charge. He was. I mean, when he went to Nazareth, his hometown, and he got up and he preached, and everybody, everybody from his hometown that knew him growing up, that went to school with him, that played soccer with him, you know, everyone from his hometown is going, who does he think he is? Well, he thinks he's the son of God, and he was. It's time that we become who we were born to be. And quit letting our surroundings and our environment and the people around us tell us how it ought to be. We need to go with what God's given us and step into our position of influence. Jesus did, and Jesus lives on the inside of you, and Jesus is anointed, and Jesus is unlimited. Jesus is unlimited. Guys, Jesus is unlimited. Okay? I mean, you see stuff in the Bible like, you know, Philip preached to this eunuch guy and got him baptized, and then he disappeared and showed up in some other city. If God needs you someplace else, he's going to cause you to disappear and show up somewhere else. Unlimited. Now, that's something that I can read in my Bible 
and I can, you know, kind of wrap my faith around because it's in here, but God's going to do other stuff that you haven't seen, and that's totally amazing, and we need to take God out of the box because we've been holding him back too long with, yeah, but, you know, what if they don't receive me and all of that? You know what? I've been hanging around, and it's the beginning of this year, the Lord told me, he says, this year's going to be easy, easy. This year's going to be easier than ever before, easy. It's going to be easy. And so I was praying about that. I'm like, well, Lord, you know, it's, what do you mean it's going to be easy? I mean, show me. He said, go to Ezekiel. Ezekiel begins with easy. I'm like, well, that's creative, you know. So I go to Ezekiel, and God says, Ezekiel, lay down in front of the city, and with your Legos, make a little town, and then knock it down, and then build it again, and then knock it down, and then build it again, and then knock it down. And everybody who comes by and says, what are you doing? Tell them, this is what I'm going to do to the city. I mean, talk about creative. I mean, this was his ministry, Legos. You know, I mean, if God speaks to you and says Legos, you would probably go, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> but God is doing new things and creative things and, and things that are going to get the attention of this generation, and he's going to do it through us. And it's going to be amazing. How many of you have a cell phone, iPhone, Android phone, whatever? Good Lord, you could make movies. I'll just leave that with you. Okay, one more. Uh, in Acts 27, you don't have to turn there, but in Acts chapter 27, Paul is on a ship. Paul had appealed to Caesar. Paul is a Roman citizen and a Jew and a Pharisee, and God had uniquely qualified him to cross barriers and reach worlds that nobody else could reach. God had anointed him to do this. And so he appeals to Caesar, so the centurion you know, when Paul and some other prisoners are on a ship and they're going to head over to uh, Rome so that Paul could stand in front of Caesar and plead his case because everybody's coming against Paul. Paul tells them, he's like, hey, you know, we shouldn't sail. We shouldn't, we shouldn't go this. We shouldn't go now. We sh-. You know, and they're like, uh, who the heck do you think you are? You're just a prisoner. All of a sudden, this storm comes, and they can't eat for days because they're too busy bailing water and trying to keep the ship upright. And then Paul comes to him and says, you should have listened to what I had to say. He says, but I'm telling you right now, not one person on the ship will die. The ship will break up, uh, and we'll end up on an island, but everyone here will live. And now I want all of you to eat something because you'll need the strength to swim to shore. It's like, who does he think he is? Well, he's the prisoner in charge. God had anointed him with influence, and he's got a mission, and he's going somewhere to do something, and nothing's going to happen to this group of people because he's there. See? He was the prisoner in charge. He was the servant in charge. Okay? And it happened just like he said it. You know, God had told him. God had shown him this is what's going to happen. It happened just like he said. And everybody, you know, came to the island, and all of a sudden they're having healing services on the island, and the king of Malta gets healed. Well, Paul had an anointing for kings. So wherever he goes, he's talking to the king. And God opens that door of influence. See, God's put stuff on the inside of you. You say, well, yeah, but I work at a daycare. Oh, my gosh. What if Einstein is one of your, you know, the next Einstein is one of your little five-year-old students in the daycare? 
You know, you don't know. You don't know what's around you. God does, but you don't know what's around you. And God is going to use you to make a difference and to be an influence and, and to speak into somebody's life and, and just to be a standard and just to be a smile in somebody's dark day. God's put this on the inside of you, and it's powerful. And we've got to quit disqualifying ourselves in our mind and go forward with this saying, okay, God, just I turn on the radar today. God, who do you want me to influence? Who do you want me to impact? Who do you want me to be a blessing to? Wherever you are, because God's put you there for a reason, and God's going to use you, and it's going to be awesome. All right. Lastly, I want to talk about Daniel. Okay. Daniel. Daniel did not choose to go into captivity into Babylon. He didn't choose. He didn't say, I'll go. Here am I. Send me to Babylon. He didn't. No, he was probably about 15 years old, and they scooped everybody up, took him to Babylon. And then the king's looking for, you know, the the best-looking young ones, you know, to be part of his team. They're going to groom them for Babylon for leadership. And they get them all in there, and... uh, but there's, there's some, some points I want to show, out, show you here. There's some things that I want to show you. Daniel 6.10. Turn over there. Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. I want to show you this. Now, this is not in order of Daniel. There's three things in your leadership life that need to be in motion in order for you to step into this. The first one is intimacy with God. Look at this, what Daniel did in Daniel 6.10. When Daniel knew that the writing was signed, He went home, and in his upper room, with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since early days. Three times a day. What did Joseph do for three times a day? He he cooked food and fed people. What did Daniel do three times a day? He prayed. Prayed toward Jerusalem. He was known as a man of prayer, and the people tried to use it against him and accuse him and come up with a law against prayer and get him thrown into prison, thrown in the lion's den as a result of it. And when Daniel heard that they made the law, guess what he did? He went home and did it again. Why? Because he had this life of intimacy with God. Okay? It was more important for him to be divinely connected to his God than it was for him to go with the flow of whatever political thing was going on at the time. He didn't care. It didn't matter to him. He said, well, what if you're thrown into the lion's den? Well, what if you are? Daniel was thrown in the lion's den, and he had, you know, big, soft, fluffy pillows to sleep on called lions, you know, and it didn't affect him at all. Why? Because he was walking in his influence, okay? How could he walk in his influence? Because he had intimacy with God. He prayed three times a day. Now, as a believer, as a Christian, as someone living in this generation, you have got to keep that fire alive. You've got to stay in God's Word. You've got to stay in God's presence. You've got to feed on it every day. Feed on His presence. Feed on His love. Feed on His ability You're going to need his ability to do what he's calling you to do. It's his ability that's going to make it happen and make it amazing anyways. So that's the first thing, intimacy with God. It's so vitally important that you have a quiet time with God. Do you need to do it all day? I don't know. Do you need to do it three times a day? I don't know. I'm not going to prescribe it to you. You ask God, God, what do I need? I want more of you. God, show me how to do this. 
Because it works different with everybody. If I tell you to pray at night every night before you go to bed, some of you, you know, you, you, the minute your head hits the pillow, you're gone. I mean, if you kneel down at night to pray, you're gone. And so, you know, that doesn't work. And you're a morning person. You know, I can't prescribe to you how. I can only tell you, you know what? He is your life. He is your anointing. He is your grace. And you need to stay vitally dependent and connected to his grace and his power and his word and You know, that's what's going to give you the fuel and the strength to do this. The next thing Daniel had was integrity. In Daniel chapter 1, verse 12, this is just so amazing. Daniel 1, 12 says this. Uh, Daniel's in this situation, and they're trying to get him to do things a certain way. He, He tells the guy who's in charge, please test your servants for 10 days and let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then after 10 days, check us out and see you know, what you think. If we're stronger, if we're, you know, more fit than these other guys. Now, I don't know any 15-year-olds that would say, just give me vegetables and water. I don't know one. I don't know one teenager. But Daniel was a teenager, and he said, look, see, see, this is integrity. See, this is how he had been brought up. It's like, look, don't defile yourself with certain kinds of foods. I mean, the, the, you know, the, the Jews had these laws and had these rules, and he grew up with these. And so he had these ingrained on the inside of him. He had been brought up this way. And so he gets into this totally worldly, ungodly environment where they eat anything and they drink anything. And Daniel says no. You know, I know a lot of kids who, if they grew up in a strict thing and it's just vegetables and all of that, they get the opportunity for, you know, I saw, I saw someone posted on Facebook the other day, a hot dog in a Krispy Kreme donut bun. And I'm like, oh, my Lord, you know, what the heck? You know, that's probably what they ate in Babylon, stuff like that. But anyways, Daniel said, no, talk about integrity. It's like, no, I won't do that. Now, think about it. Every little choice that every one of us make is either forwards or backwards. Every little thing that we do is forwards or backwards. I mean, think about this for a second. Uh, All of us are full of something. I'll let that sink in for just a moment. All of us are full of something. We're either full of the world or we're full of God. We're either full of fear or we're full of faith. We're either full of love or we're full of something else. You know, it's... And we have a choice, and every little thing we do either causes us to progress in the, in the good or causes us to go backwards into the bad. And our integrity is what keeps us on track. Our ability to say no to some things keeps us on track, saying yes to God and no to other stuff, okay? But Daniel had this. He's in this situation. He says, no. And, it, you know, he gives the guy an out. He goes, look, just test us for 10 days. And it worked. It worked. When God gives you something, that's going to work. So walk in the integrity that God gives you. Daniel chapter 9, verse 5. And we're going to, this is the last one. Daniel chapter 9, verse 5. Daniel was so amazing. Look at this, what he does. You know, can you think of anything bad Daniel ever did? Can you think of any mistake that he ever made? Can you think of any time where uh, Daniel, you know, he, he prayed against the law. That's probably the worst thing he ever did. 
They made a law against prayer, and he still prayed, and then he got thrown in the lion's den for it. I can't think of anything that he ever did that, you know, I mean, there's lots of guys back here that, you know, they commit adultery, they, you know, murder people, they do all kinds of crazy stuff. I can't think of one thing that Daniel ever did. Look at this prayer that he prayed in Daniel chapter 9. He said he prayed to the Lord his God and said in verse 5, Daniel 9 verse 5, we, 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 what is he, French? We have sinned and committed iniquity. We have done wickedly and rebelled even by departing from your precepts and your judgment. We, 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 we. Who is he talking about? Had Daniel done anything? Simple question. Not a trick question. Had Daniel done anything? No, he had not done anything. But you know what he was doing? He was taking upon himself the responsibility of his generation. And he was saying, Lord, forgive us, for we have sinned. I live in this generation. I'm a part of this generation. I take responsibility for my generation. They don't know how to repent, so I'm doing it for them. They don't know how to call out on God, so I'm doing it for them. They don't know what to do to get closer to God, so I am clearing the atmosphere so that God can pour out his love on this generation. And he took the responsibility so that he could be the influence to others that God had called him to be. He took the responsibility. You know, many Christians that I know of today, they're like, well, I haven't done anything wrong. I didn't do anything. anything." So they don't pray this way, you know. Does Grand Prairie need God's forgiveness? Does Dallas-Fort Worth need God's forgiveness? I mean, 2 Chronicles 7.14, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. Does our land need some healing? Does our country need some healing? Does our generation need some healing? Well, what's it going to take? It's going to take some leadership. It's going to take some people who have intimacy with God. It's going to take some people who have integrity. It's going to take some people who take their influence seriously and say, God, forgive us. God, I take the responsibility. God, I stand in the gap. God, change the situation. Change our country. Change our nation. Change our city. God, I take it on myself to do this thing and to see this thing happen. When you do that, God can steer you through life. God can plant you in the right place. God can lead you. When you have this kind of a heart, when you have this kind of a walk, God can put you where he needs you and make a huge difference in other people's lives. Like Daniel, you know, uh, Daniel served under uh, Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar went crazy, just like Daniel prophesied, and went out into the field for a bunch of years and ate grass like a cow. His son, Belshazzar, took over And Daniel served in that kingdom. And then the Chaldeans came and took over, and Daniel served in that kingdom. The kings came and went, and the only thing that was the same was Daniel. And he was the person to go to. If the king had a problem, he knew who to go to, because Daniel was still there. Amazing. That's what God will do for you. He'll make you the unchangeable factor in a situation. Maybe you work for a company and people are coming and going, and you're still there, you're still there, you're still there. Why? Because you've got a heart like this. God, I pray for my boss. God, I pray for my coworkers. Instead of going around saying, everybody here is stupid, everybody here is dumb, everybody here, nobody knows it. Stop that. Get on your knees and go, God, 
This com- you've called me here for a reason. God, you've called this company to do something great. God, I know you want to do something here. And you begin to cry out to God, and God will make you the Daniel of that place. He'll make you the servant in charge. You say, well, I'm not the president of the company. I can't make any decisions. No, but you can be the influence God has called you to be where he's planted you. And it'll make all the difference in the world. Daniel wasn't king. Jesus wasn't a political king. Joseph wasn't the king. Moses wasn't the king. None of these guys were the king. But they were all the influence. And they made a huge difference, a huge impact. God is... God is not wanting you to run for president necessarily. I mean, if you did, that would be awesome. I'd vote for you. Okay? But that's not where all the power is. The power is in walking in your influence where you're at. And God will take that and God will use that and God will promote you in that. You start promoting yourself and trying to do it yourself and you end up with some problems. But, you know, you walk in integrity, you walk in intimacy with God, and you walk in your influence, and God will make sure you get there. And God will use you to make a huge difference in people's lives. I gave a prophetic word over a young couple, you know, 15 years ago that they would do something unusual and pastor in a new way. And now they're in Thailand making a difference in people's lives, you know. I didn't know him when I prophesied over him. But God did, and God spoke to that thing on the inside of him and and, and developed it, and now they're doing awesome things for God. Okay? We haven't even begun to see what what God wants to do here musically. We haven't even begun to see what God wants to do here in, in corporate anointing and bringing people together in this area. And this area, Dallas-Fort Worth, I've been here for a long time. This area needs some corporate events, some corporate things going on. And, you know, you guys are going to be right in the middle of it. We haven't begun to see what God's going to do. And he's placed the ideas and the thoughts and the anointings and the grace on the inside of you to do some things and to make some things happen. It's going to be so awesome.